You're listening to Emma Nash, Screen Queens. Hello, you're listening to Screen Queens. We bring you roughly every week or so tips on what you should be watching on all your streaming platforms of choice because are cinemas ever going to really reopen again? And we like to push the cross-generational thing mainly to annoy Em because we do have a Gen X and a millennial. And it's cute like that. And we also have producer Stu, who knows about superheroes and shit. I'm Ash, by the way, and right up top, I'm going to tell you what we're going to be talking about this week, because feedback. Um, we're going to be discussing Ron Howard's brand new original film on Netflix based on a true story, Hillbilly Elegy. Another brand new one for you is Uncle Frank, which you can see on Prime. And then producer Stu's going to take it away from Mortal Engines, so expect some kind of sci-fi-ness. Em's going to be chatting to you about The Vow, which does actually look up my street, but I haven't checked it out yet. There's some weird sex trafficking, racketeering conspiracy tied with a cult, so it does sound right up my street. Then I'm going to lose my shit discussing Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square, which is new to Netflix. And then right at the end of the episode, we will be spoiling the end of the undoing to critique it. So we'll tell you when you need to turn off, but that's going to happen right at the end. Not for a long time, though. Settle in, cats. Like I said, I'm Ash, but here is Em. Hello there. Good Hello, evening. dear. Good evening. And producer Stu as well. Good eye. I have a question first to ask both of you. Actually, let's go with Stu first, because Em, you've got about eight to run through. Stu, I'm assuming you have an advent calendar as a normal human. What is it? I don't. For fuck's sake. I know. Um, this is the thing. I'm, I'm, I'm too old now. I, and, and, but I don't think it's I'm what? too old. Is, I think, <laughs> I, think I, I think an advent calendar should be bought for you. And I'm now of such an age where nobody buys me advent calendars. So I do not have one. Did your mum not send you one? It hasn't done for years. Maybe you should write a strongly worded letter to my parents and say, this will not stand. I'm okay with it, but it would be nice to have one. I agree with your you should be bought one. My mum did send me one this year. I think she's trying to button me up so I let her in my house for Christmas. Bless her heart. And um, Partner with the Good Shouts bought me one this year, unprompted. And it only took four Christmases. So that's pretty good in terms of training, I think. But um, do, do your, well, I think your boys are at the age of which they might think it's lame. Do they still do it? No. What we have in the Marchant household are little, my mum made all of them, like cloth, craft kits with pockets. Mm. And the elves come every night and leave a present in the pocket. That was what we've done. However, this year, every year we're like, really? Because I don't, I mean, even Judgy Jago really doesn't believe in Father Christmas. And what's on his Christmas list? Nothing other than a PS5, which is, you know, sitting in the cupboard cash. already <laughs> secured. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. They want cash, Beats headphones, laptops, a PS5, uh, Valhalla, Watchdog Legions. I mean, like, the list goes on. It's terribly unromantic in our house. So we have, though, agreed to, to let the elves come for Jago one more year. I, th I think I should be allowed to vet Christmas listeners. When someone puts being a bit of an audiophile myself, when someone says Beats headphones on their Christmas list, I should be allowed to sort of sweep it and say, no, they're just a, they're just a brand. They aren't the best out there. You're just paying for brand. You can get better headphones out there for your money. But 
that's just my two cents. You need those sexy flat cans producer Stu's rocking on the Zoom call. <laughs> Emma takes pictures and puts them on our Instagram. She's good at that shit. Take a look. I have my, I have my, I should have said that actually, to be fair, Theo did not actually ask for Beats Headphones. I just got them here on Black Friday because I am unimaginative and couldn't think past it. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, that's where we are. The elves are coming, but it, it, it gets hard every year to find things that are small enough to put in the pockets and also aren't just landfill. But no one, but if I see one more on my feed, which is obviously full of a certain kind of person, I suppose, <laughs> my social media feed, being very careful here, choosing my words carefully. Mom's on the I loose. See more, I see one more fucking picture of those elf. And look at that. How that's so unusual. That I swear this early into the podcast. I see one more <laughs> picture of what people are doing with their elves on the shelves. I may just, I may have to leave Facebook. This might be the thing that takes me off Facebook and, you know, nothing else did. Being sold shit forever didn't take me off there, but Elf on the Shelf might do it. Do it, Em. I left Facebook this year, actually, a little while ago. It's fabulous. I have a question, an audio question, because I can hear Emma's puppy yapping and I got feedback from a fan. I think it would have been Marisha in New Zealand that they enjoy the dog sounds. But Stuart, would we be able to hear that? Or is it only us in our headphones that can hear it? I don't understand. Can you rephrase the question? Right. Will the people listening to this who aren't the three of us be able to hear the little yip yip that we hear from the puppy? Have you already just said that your friend in New Zealand can hear it? <laughs> but I don't know if that's a different <laughs> time. Well. Because New Zealand's pup- a really long way away. The puppy's outside the room. I don't know if it has to be inside her microphone. Is it just so because I'm picking we out? are recording? I don't have a puppy living inside my microphone, actually. That would be really weird. <laughs> <laughs> we are recording from our various homesteads. We are we are not working in soundproof audio insulated studios. There is a good chance there'll be some audio bleed, whether that be traffic passing the, the window or small puppies bleating outside. I think I understand the tech now. If we hear it, they hear it, yeah? Pretty much, yeah. Fan fucking this, this is only all... taken you. This is episode 27, <laughs> everybody. 27 is only taken Ash. And this is why we wear to work that out. This is why we wear headphones because the listener, hello listeners, will eventually be <laughs> listening through headphones most likely themselves. So this is why we wear in headphones because then we hear what they hear and etc. 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 Audio production. I like to think that they're blasting this across their sonos speakers, across their massive palatial mansions, so everyone can enjoy it. Funny you should say, that's what your sister-in-law Melanie does, doesn't she? And then has to turn sister, it off. Sister, Ashley. Sister. 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 Oh, that's why sister. I thought she was Australian. But she doesn't. her husband no, she... doesn't like it when I say cunt, so she has to turn <laughs> it off, right? Hi, Melanie. Hey, bitch. <laughs> You're not a I cunt. I don't think your she's ever trialed like it. <laughs> I don't think she's ever trialed it, Ashley, but she may be amongst some of our listeners, yeah, who, who perhaps... Find your, you know, the language, the language is, look, it is what it is. It's M&S Screen Queens. It's 2020. Oh, cool. Take it or leave it. How have your weeks been? Very quickly. I have a disclaimer. In 2020, bitches say cunt now and again. But yeah, how, no, M, what are you up to? Because you're in your makeshift bedroom still. And your life is less normal than the other two of us. Still in the makeshift bedroom, although Pavel and the gang have told me that we can move it back into the bedroom now. They they, they do like to Pavel, give me the wow factor. you're a Polish builder in the gang. Pavel, mashing, mashing, blonde Andre and uh, blind Andre, blind, blind Andre, blind, Andre, semi-blind, but does a great job of pastoring. Uh, the two mashings and a guy called Conrad who occasionally turns up. Um, 
Yeah, but they've told us we can move back in. So we are, but we haven't got any blinds. But then that shouldn't be a problem at this time of year, should because in the UK, of course, in December, there's never any light anyway. So that's going to be a step in the right direction, moving back into the bedroom. So it's been two months. Stupask, what's the crack? Uh, not a lot. Um, it's been quiet as as lockdown 2.0 has guaranteed. Um, starting to get a little bit excited about the the hype of the pubs reopening, albeit in a limited capacity because Cambridge where we are for the most part is tier two um I'm presuming you're tier two as well Emma in Essex land we're all tier two apart from Cornwall the Isles of Scilly and the Isle of Wight that's it they're the only tier one places across all of the UK so pretty much we've all just got to put on our sweaters and sit outside so if you're listening from the Isle of Scilly or the Isle of Wight or that little weird bit of Cornwall from us to you Fuck off, you smug pricks. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, a lot of thinking about pubs, how we're going to not, not, not circumnavigate the rules, but bend the rules to our, to our whims with sitting in the pub garden with friends, because that's allowed because you're not indoors with a meal, pizza ovens, etc., etc. So we cannot meet up inside a restaurant because we're different households, but Correct. can the three of us meet up in a pub garden? Yes. Okay. Yes. And actually, due to the fact that this is such a professional podcast, we could actually meet in a restaurant because it could be a work meeting. That is allowed in hospitality venues. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> but this is what's so stupid. That's because the government said, OK, you can open. But at the end of the day, if restaurants and pubs now open between now and Christmas, unless they get some Christmas parties in there or some Christmas, I won't say parties because there's nothing party about sitting at a table for an hour and 45 minutes before you get booted off and but you know what I mean, an office function, some kind of Christmas merriment, they're just not going to make any, any money because there's only so many times people are going to go want to eat out with their household who we have spent the last eight months with inside our own houses. Yeah, and um, so Partner with the Good Shouts has been in hospitality for over a decade in Cambridge itself. His favourite line is, one bad Christmas will close any restaurant. They won't be able to survive that. And just today... We've heard of another favourite pub of ours, which is closing in Cambridge. So it's it feels like they're really being choked for this December. And we're going to find out in January and February just how shit forcing them to not even really be able to properly open on the most lucrative month of the year is going to have affected them. It's not going to be good. Which pub, out of curiosity, this will be of any benefit to any of our listeners who live outside of Cambridge. I but... don't think I can tell you which one, but it's one down King Street. There's many, many pubs down there. There are many, many pubs down so I hope it's not the one I'm thinking of. Okay. However, at least we are doing better than Wales, where they've just banned all alcohol in all pubs completely, which (laughs) seems really bizarre. Just close them. Yeah, so... (laughs) I'm going to go to the pub till 6pm and drink Diet Coke. Thanks very much. That makes no sense. It makes no (laughs) sense. So my my household. Yeah, no, Emma. From one alcoholic pit to another, it makes no sense. But my in-laws are up in Northern Ireland, and since the very first lockdown lifted, they've had the rule in place the whole time that you cannot have a pub or a bar open for people to drink in unless they're eating a substantial meal. So this is the new joke in England, like, what does a substantial meal um, consist of? Northern Ireland's had that the whole time, and their pubs are not doing great. I don't think a lot of them are going to reopen. Scotch egg, but not, not a Cornish pasty. I saw a great little meme on the old interwebs today on the Facebook that you are abandoning, like, 
Being abandoned, I can't think of a better metaphor to leave me alone. Um, analogy, it's not even a metaphor, it's an analogy. Um, the, there's a sort of great meme that's saying, it's, it, we've got less than a month now until Brexit. <laughs> Rubbish. Mm. And the government are too busy trying to decide whether or not a scotch egg constitutes a substantial meal. It's like, Jesus Christ, sort out your priorities, please. For the love to organise us a trade deal. Don't don't make me miserable because you know that actually will affect my real real life work. It is really sad and stupid. I think a lot of people in a lot of countries feel let down by their governments at the moment, but it does seem very silly and specific. But knowing the hospitality industry from the inside, the government has consistently refused that we will not be drawn on what constitutes a substantial meal. Like just give them some fucking guidelines and they'll follow them. So you're throwing these people in, trying to reopen their businesses with a week's notice, and they're frightened they're going to have the COVID police on the doorstep chucking their customers out. Tell them what the fucking rules are, they'll follow them. So they're A, not leading, B, not bothering to put any rules down. It's bullshit. I will say, though, that due to um, a request from the eldest by 10 minutes of the three, which is tall Theo. Your three kids. tall. Mm. He literally up on Thursday, stretched himself and came back downstairs again. His legs are now longer than husband with the bad tastes. But he was like, it would be really nice to go out for a snazzy meal on Friday. Now we're allowed to. And we were all like, would it? Would it really? And I thought that was really mean of me. So we have actually to go to our local um, pub restaurant on Friday night. The five of us to go and have, as Theo says, a delicious steak. And sounding a bit like a granddad, he was like, oh, I can't wait to go out for a lovely steak at the Eight Bells. I was like, are you 13? Or are you 63? Anyway, it'll be lovely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the things they've been saying again is that uh, bars, restaurants, pubs, what have you, they might ask you to leave after you finish your substantial meal because by that point you're no longer eating and therefore you shouldn't continue to drink. So how many scotch eggs should we be ordering? How many courses, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, have a three-course banquet, you know, and uh, and then just keep the drinks coming. I honestly can't understand the displacement activity that is the fixation with the hospitality industry on this. There's been none of this discussion or attempt to get dancers, actors, comedians reworking, theatres, comedy clubs reopened, nothing like that. It's just been all focused on restaurants and bars and pubs and I just don't understand it. Because that's, uh, I guess that's like the, the common denominator for, you know, the, there are a lot of people who don't go to the theatre, for you know, for example, but almost everybody goes to a restaurant or a pub. I guess that's why there's such an obsession about it. Although my brother actually asked me today about cinemas, obviously knowing that I have my giddy heights of my, my, my local radio cinema fame. And I said, look, Richard, it's nothing to do with when the governments are going to open cinemas. It's when production companies are going to allow content mm-hmm. to allow cinemas to make money. I said, even Wonder Woman 84, it's coming out, but it's streaming on HBO Max on the same day. Same with the new Pixar release. And that's the problem. Until they are prepared to take the gamble and release it solely for cinema release only, they're, they're, it's just not worth them coming back. And that is really, and I, I don't know, I... I hit, I've hit a real wall in the second lockdown, and that was one of the things that just really upset me was the lack of cinema. And it, you know, which is funny. I, you know, we obviously we all love cinema, but I hadn't really registered how much I'd been missing it. It's the only thing, especially because you're an actual grown-up, thousand-year-old mum with eight million kids by four different men, and like how it's a quick, easy way for you to get out and have an hour and a half on your own. It's also my it's happy the most wonderful place. headspace. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, and I agree with you. The problem there is the, the very greedy production companies choking it. But the other thing that I find stupid, I do not like any organized sports whatsoever, apart from the Super Bowl halftime show. I do not want to watch a dozen adulterers running around a field wearing polyester. It's not my idea of fun. Why the fuck can we have hundreds of people in a bar socially distanced and in inverted commas in their household bubbles in a massive weather spoons, but you can't half fill a stadium, an open air stadium with people sat at a distance buying tickets to watch a sport that is being played in an empty stadium. And that's been happening since for months. I don't understand that. I have a theory. Mm. Uh, deep, deep theory. So all these venues, bar of course cinemas because they're not open, but all these other venues and things where people go and are audiences to events, people are very focused on the thing that's going on. They're not talking to each other. And I think that's what the government don't want us doing. They don't want us to be in pubs talking to each other because we'll be talking <gasps> about each other. whinging Exactly. Whinging about the status quo and how shit it is and how shit they are. And if we are meeting in pubs and whinging about it, we can't organise and rebel. Vive la revolution. It's all led by stupas. Okay. Stop, go! Right. Okay. I think maybe, I though, we have whinged for quite some time now about our own personal <laughs> status. Feeling it. Shall we move on to our first Shall we? Hope you Shall guys we? are all doing well. I think we've... we've um, set up this episode so the serious shit comes first and then we move more and more into the fun Christmassy shit and then we'll do your spoiler at the end if you want to cut off but let's start with a hillbilly elegy I think I'm the only one that's seen this all the way through because no, Emma all the way through. have you yes okay so this came on to Netflix on paper I'll tell you what it looks like on paper it's directed by Ron Howard um off of Happy Days fame the ginger one he also made the Grinch it's great. Um, and he's made Le Mans 66 and Apollo 13. He's and a wonderful director. <laughs> and, and, of course, Syed, Stu Paskis, Dream Woman, and awesome Mandalorian director, Bryce Dallas Howard. Father of some beautiful... In fact, he has three gorgeous ginger children. It's a very... Future, but anyway. Future father-in-law of producer Stu, Ron Howard... <laughs> made this film turns out it's a true story i didn't realize till i got to the end and that is my dream mecca of a cinema experience i get to the end and i see all these real life photographs of the real life people because i've just watched a true story and i'm like oh my god this is amazing but we we join the film a yale law student is phoned to come home immediately as an emergency in his um, very small rundown sort of financially unsupported small town Ohio home and he goes home to his mum Amy Adams he's had a lot of drug problems she's had some suicide attempts in the past she is mothered by Glenn Close who is an extremely tough love down the nose takes no shit grandmother and mother for better or for worse mostly for better I think in this um, and there are a couple of siblings trying to battle their way through this really tough bleak upbringing and for some magical reason, one of the kids makes it out to Yale University and is trying to balance his two lives. So I'm this big law student. I've got to make myself look like that person, but then I need to be there for my family back home. It's dark and heavy. It tries to relay um, what life is like in that place, which I think 90% of people on the planet will have no idea about. 
I didn't hate it at all. I did think it was a little simplistic in places. I found it a little too easy to follow given the weight of the subject matter. I'd normally expect to be a bit more challenged in something like this. I didn't hate it for that reason, but this has been critically panned. Everyone hates this. I think Ron Howard's been really ripped apart for a very simplistic telling of this particular demographics lifestyle. And I, I think they're getting at him for trying to, he doesn't downplay it. I, I just think they, critics get that he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about coming from a privileged background and trying to talk about these lifestyles. And I think people are very rubbed up the wrong way, but I did not hate this much. I am going to read this quite differently. So oh. I, funnily enough, a friend of mine was reading this book and I'd never heard of it. And they, they, they said, oh, I'm reading this book. Hillary, and I hadn't read about it. So I Googled it just to, and then weirdly, the, the, it's like when Facebook suddenly advertises whatever you've been talking to your mates about the next day. Suddenly it popped up on Netflix. Now, when this memoir came out by J.D. Vance in 2016, it was a massive hit. And a lot of it, you know, a lot of it, because J.D. Vance himself is a proud Republican. And it oh. came out in 2016 when Trump won. And a lot of it was this idea of, you know, the white working class people who were voting for Trump, who were going against the Democrats, who wanted to make America great again. So that was the Fuck. climate. It, that's a climate that the memoir came out in. We're now four years on and Trump, hallelujah, is finally leaving the White House. So maybe the timing for the film is not quite as pertinent as the timing of the memoir was. Um, I disagree. In, I know I agree with you and it's simplistic. I thought I've seen this kind of story before and I've seen it better done. You know, Amy Adams, who I do love. I, I'm a big fan of Amy Adams. Her big role in Enchanted, her breakthrough role, loved her. And she does a very good job. You know, she does make a good fist of this, you know, drug addicted, almost bipolar mother that, but, you know, she also came from a terribly um, abusive background which I believe is whitewashed a bit in the film which is mm. talked about more in the book because Glenn Close's character at one point sets fire to her husband mm. Amy Adams so you see this very briefly in flashback so clearly mm. we're talking about generations of you know a, a, the, the cycle of abuse if you like and like you say the fact that J.D. Vance broke out of this and went to Yale and made a success of himself however they call it a hillbilly eulogy the idea is it's like the West Virginia hillbillies or whatever but actually they're already a generation away from that these guys are just dirt poor white in you know factory workers really in Middletown Ohio and I just didn't think I thought you're right at the very end when you see the video footage you realize how bang on they've got the makeup and the look for both Glenn Close and Amy Adams it's almost spooky how much they look like the people but I wasn't charmed unfortunately by Gabriel Basso as the older J.D. Vance at all I just felt he was really odd casting not as odd as Frida Pinto as his you know he, who becomes his real life wife at this point is his, his you know girlfriend at Harvard University Usha. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to bring her, you know, trying to also introduce, obviously, an Indian culture into this, into this um, very, very white working class family. It just, it just was, I just, like, I've, I've seen it. Ron Howard makes really good looking films, but he can also be guilty of making really dull films. And this sat in the kind of, he shot the areas beautifully. I, I, I did enjoy the scene where they're going to a funeral and all the guys, and, and they're driving up past, 
the small town and everyone's just taking their hats off as they just pass go by just taking their baseball caps off and you know they say that they're doing that because they're hillbillies but it just didn't i didn't really care enough about anybody and knowing what a rabid trump supporting republican this guy was i think that probably that's my fault i was slightly biased against it from the beginning but I, yes yeah. in, interesting you brought that political um angle into it because i was wondering and now it makes sense to me I was wondering why the bit missing from Hillbilly Elegy was the real kind of turning point. You need some kind of intervention. You need several interventions, actually, to feel good enough about yourself and understand that you have different um, paths out of the life you currently have. And that's normally a pretty left-wing inspirational teacher or maybe in another film we're about to talk about, a, a different family member who has a very different worldview who has a big effect on you and kind of the the left-wing teacher was very lightly touched upon glenn close was did give a very a particular kind of tough love that might have helped him out of this but that doesn't explain why his sister wasn't helped out of this so i don't i didn't see where this magical yale from nothing story came from and it can't have come from nothing there must have been things in place to help this person or inspirational people in place to help this person and there was no sort of explanation of where that, that came he, from i believe that he mostly thanks his grandmother for it this is what i believe and it was of her hard think love. Of that as coming full circle because maybe she looks at her own daughter and looks at all the troubles that amy adams is having and thinks yeah. well maybe i was slightly to blame for that and then kind of sit around by like you say, tough love, you know, he goes, he steals a calculator because he's brilliant at algebra, but he, he, and, and she does force him into it. But it just, it didn't move me enough. I do think Ron Howard can sometimes, like I say, be guilty of, of, of directing rather dull films. He doesn't necessarily get the passion out of, a, out of the characters that you would like to see. So again, producer Stu chipping in again. I mean, it's not been, it sounds like it's not been very well received by audiences, Panned. but... By well, critically panned. Critically Audience panned. Is not not tested yet. Yeah, but by the sounds of it, I watch. You know, as you know, I watch Graham Norton. He comes up regularly on our show, on our little podcast here. But he said again that some of the things that were impressive with it were the actors' transformation into the characters, the actual the makeup work, to like um, how they got them from looking from the Hollywood superstars that they are into the characters they're portraying. Is that is that does that stand up? Oh, for sure. <laughs> I, I did think, and I thought about Amy Adams' very first role. She was, it was Junebug, wasn't it? In a, in a, and, and this is a oh, similar yeah. kind of, that, that was a similar story of, of a, well, not similar story, but a similar character of kind of, you know, it was a warmer film, but downtrodden, you know, poor white working class country. country. And Amy Adams, no, Amy Adams is, Amy Adams is really good. And Glenn Close is, Glenn Close never really turns in a bad performance, does she? And her prosthetics mm. are amazing, but. Outside of that, I just it was like a like I say, running with scissors, or I'm trying to think of that. There, there just I just feel there are so many films of, of people coming from impoverished backgrounds to yeah. make good. I think I think there's just a little bit missing in each category that would make up a good version of this film. The performances were a tad overblown. We were missing a bit on really, really how and why he changed and how he got to where he was. And also really missing a bit on why they kept coming back to support the mother, Amy Adams, after the horrific things they'd went through as kids. 
Anna's being her mum, like there is a limit <laughs> to how much she will put up with people and how much she will come back and spend thousands of dollars on these people and waste thousands of hours of your life on these people. Like there really wasn't enough in any of those categories to make a brilliant film. And I think those lacking parts, perhaps the fact it was made by who it's made by, if there was a working class female maybe coming at this film, we'd have more sympathy for how they made it, but it's all too easy to criticize this. And I find myself erring to the criticism side of how well this turned out, even though I, I watched it all, it was okay. It was a cute enough story. Just not, yeah, not, didn't hit the mark, I don't think. Look good, quite dull. There you go, that's what I'm going to say. Available Done. on Netflix. <laughs> so that's Hillbilly Elegy. It is on Netflix now. I also think it's going to suffer for the um, the time of year it's put out. You sure as shit don't want to be having this on in the background of your festive household during December. So maybe come back to it in January if it's still there. But if you're into, if you're big Glenn Close or Amy Adams fans, they are performances and I will leave it at that and we're slowly edging up now to the more happy content something that did remind me of Hillbilly Elegy but it was on a happier sort of better way way better I'm very <laughs> excited about this very much way, way better. better this is um called Uncle Frank it's available on Prime Video so set in 1973 Frank Uncle best Frank. year ever who was oh, born in 1973? It's my birth year. That's why it spoke to me, obviously, straight it away. Spoke I was like, deeply Let to me see what was going down in South Carolina the year I was born. And I this film miss, showed me. I wish I lived through those fashions. I tried to with my high waisted jeans and my token t shirts. It's 1973. Flank, Frank, Frank um, comes home to visit, um, kind of gets even more deeply connected with his um, older teenage niece, Beth. Who's that brilliant actress? Sophia Lilly. She is me. from, of course, It, It, Chapter One and Chapter Two. She plays Beverly in It, Chapter One and Chapter Two. And mm. this, watching her spread her wings in this film, I really, mm -hmm. I th this is one of the highlights for it. So yeah, and Paul, well, and like you say, so Paul Bettany is playing her uncle. Yes. You have a very quick scene at the beginning when she's 15 and, and you know, and, and it's a, they're giving away the Christmas, they're, they're giving out Christmas presents and the father, his father, so Uncle Frank's father, her grandfather is terribly, he's clearly disapproving of Frank and you realise that that's because he is obviously a deeply closeted homosexual. We flash forward four years, Beth goes to university where her uncle is a lecturer. Mm-hmm. And then the grandfather dies, Uncle Frank's father dies, and they, they take a road trip back together to South Carolina. Yeah. So that's, that's therein lies the main action. So Frank is not all he says he is for no fault of his own. His niece, Beth, is not all she wants to be through no fault of her own. And they both kind of grow together in this on the road trip back to her granddad and his dad's funeral because they have a gay man along for the ride and we get to learn more about that gay man and how he's going to affect the whole family's life on the way through. This is a lovely, lovely film. It reminds me a lot of something called August Assage County, which came out a few years ago with a huge stellar cast, brilliant title song from Kings of Leon. If you haven't watched August Assage County, check it out. 
But this is made by someone called Alan Ball, who I had no idea about until now. He produced American Beauty and Six Feet Under. M, you're adoring of him. Well, that's what I was going to say. As soon because I, funnily enough, just to prove that Ash and I are almost the same person, our tastes are so, att- <laughs> so attuned. Last night we were talking about content for the for, for today's recording, and I said, "Oh, well, I'm about to sit down and watch this and send it to her." And Ash said, "We are literally turning this on the television yeah. right now." So. I was like, that's because we are the same person, babes. But I, it just popped up and I thought, I love Paul Bettany. He plays Frank, I'm sorry, this, I, I really do. I think Paul Bettany, yeah. even in bad films like Wimbledon and mediocre <laughs> films like Master <laughs> and Commander and utterly brilliant films like Avengers Endgame or actually not Endgame, no, Avengers Infinity War because of course he dies at the end of Infinity War. Um, My favourite Avengers. Don't know the he's difference. always brilliant and he's always worth watching. So... But it was only when I then started Googling it in preparation for this that I realised it was Alan Ball. I was a six feet under obsessive. And I also really liked True Blood because then he made True Blood as well, the deep south gothic vampire shenanigans. Ooh. So clearly there are many things that, that Alan Ball writes well about. And I think familiar relationships is one of them because I think that was such mm-hmm. a key part of Six Feet Under. Yeah. Um, and the South which was a key part, obviously, of True Blood, all being set as it was in Louisiana, because he they, they photograph and he directs the, the, the South Carolina landscape really well. And that's somewhere that's quite close to my heart, having done similar road trips myself from New York all the way down to South Carolina through Virginia. I've driven, you know, I've driven those roads and they shoot them really, really it's a really nicely shot film it's only an hour and a half long um but yeah I was I, I, I was really impressed with the fact it was Alan Ball and it did not let me down I loved it I was also wondering because we mentioned that he he produced that guy on uh Six Feet Under and I was wondering where they found the lovely gay gentleman that joins them on the road trip played by Peter MacDesey or Mastisi he did a bit part on Six Feet Under. Um, he was in it for a few episodes. Also on The X-Files, he was in one episode, and I fucking love The X-Files. So maybe that's where he remembered him from, because he is alluring, enigmatic, me and partner with a good shout. So like, that guy is good looking. Neither of us are big into the sort of big, heavy bearded, dark, hooded eyes, big eyebrows kind of guy, but he is charismatic, sexy. So charming. I like to act a lot. Paul Bettany's very sexy in this. I don't find him sexy normally at all. Like the kind of skinny public schoolboy that I normally hate. But he he has that kind of, and this is especially important to his character when you find out more about him. He has that self-assuredness. I am who I am. I'm wearing what I want. I know who I am. And you guys can all just be cool without me. And I loved the characters He's- for that excellent in everything i'm telling you and then we have steve zane from little miss sunshine and other mm. great you know lovely indie comic steve zane playing his brother margot martindale as his mother and then Stephen root who i mostly know yeah. from dodgeball i mostly know office from dodgeball and also office space dodgeball and then recently from um oh what did i watch from be honest perry mason he okay. plays Daddy Mac, the, the the patriarch who has died, which is why they're going back, who is a horrible person, but played incredibly well. Played very nicely. So I have an additional credit and additional praise for Paul Bettany. So mm. you, uh, Emma referenced the most recent Avengers films um, and indeed uh, Age of Ultron as well, is where he sort of appeared for the first time 
on screen. But we have to remember Paul Bettany goes all the way back to the beginning of the Marvel Cinematic Universe for the first Iron Man film because he voiced Jarvis from the very beginning. So there's that. But the other role, which I think he's amazing in and hilarious, is playing Chaucer in A Knight's Tale. <gasps> oh my goodness, yes, R.I.P. Heath Ledger. Oh, he is... Oh, Stuart, that has... That's absolutely made my entire podcast. I'd even forgotten about <laughs> A Night's Tale. I love that movie. It's an amazing film. Um, I think we should read it one day. Yeah, he is. He's really good. We should do that as an oldie but goodie one day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bosh. Definitely flashback to it. I do want to definitely point out, though, everyone should watch Uncle Frank. It's a great film. It's on Prime Video. But if you do like it, definitely go and check out August Asage County because it tells the same story in a very different way. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that cast is ridiculous. You've got Meryl Streep, Julia Roberts, Ewan McGregor, Sam Shepard, Dermot Mulroney, Juliette Lewis, Abigail Breslin. Go for it. I know we promised not to interrupt, but I need to interrupt very quickly. August Osage County was based on a play, though, right? Because I've never seen it and I feel I should watch it. But but, that's based on a play. Yeah, so it's a Tracy Letts play, but Tracy Letts did come back to write the screenplay, which is probably why it's very well done. Um, and and they act um, in stuff as well. They've popped up in Ladybird and The Big Short and The Post, so that they seem like a pretty interesting Tracy artist. Letts. Yeah. Oh, you'll know you know Tracy Letts if you see him. He's awesome, chunky blonde guy, um, glasses. You'll totally recognise him. While you do I'm that, Google it while Stuart tells me something more interesting. So another thing, uh, Night's Tale. Talk about that again. Sorry. It, ha- <laughs> it has it has we will it has an amazing soundtrack, but it has We Will Rock You by Queen. And one thing we were talking about in our group WhatsApp chat earlier in the week, but I think we've all forgotten about today, is we were all talking about going back and watching Highlander, which itself has an amazing oh. Queen soundtrack. If we are okay. forced to. The husband with a bad taste loves it. But yeah, I, I just, I, I, this Uncle Frank, for me to wrap up on, I'm just going to wrap up on my review of, of this. It was a really unexpected treat for me. It, it, mm. it you know, there is, there is, there's poignancy to it. It is obviously the story of how even attitudes that's in the in the deep south of America change between the 50s and the 70s. It's about the burgeoning acceptance of homosexuality. I would say that that, that is beginning to come out in the early 70s. Very compared beginning. to compared to Uncle Frank's childhood himself in the 50s but also how there are certain people who would never be able to accept it, it just but it was really beautifully done and i i have to admit i i did i cry i i cried at the end i i, I did because i just think the, the performances are beautifully nuanced and i hadn't even mentioned judy greer who <gasps> recently reviewed on here in buffaloed who really and we're thoroughly obsessed with it at the moment because as a family we're watching archer the animated show on netflix which is in no way nuanced or poignant or anything it's just ridiculous and very funny <laughs> but she voices cheryl on um on archer and she is such an excellent character actress and just everything i see her in i'm always like judy greer man she is making my she's making my day so it's packed full of great character actors beautifully directed nicely scripted breakout performance from sophia L- lillis ex of it chapter one and chapter two is mm-hmm. Beth. Beautiful performances by Paul Bethany, Bethany and Peter McDissie, and just yeah, just a really unexpected Amazon Prime treat. Do yourselves a treat and watch it. Agreed. Go for it. All the characters will change beautifully before your eyes throughout the hour and a half. It's a certificate fifteen. It's on Prime Video. Go for it. That's Uncle Frank. 
Um, I think producer Stu's going to take this one away because we're moving on to something called mortal, in inverted commas, engines, closing brackets. <laughs> That's how titles work, yeah. <laughs> um, so basically, mortal engines, I only watched it this week because it's one of those things that occasionally gets flashed at the top of the Netflix landing page. So this is available on Netflix. Um, if you want to waste your time on it, feel free. But it's not very good i'm gonna go straight off the bat and say the premise of the of it is is quite interesting so it's a, it's based on a um a book which is a young adult science fantasy novel by philip reeve and it focuses on a futuristic steampunk version of the city of london which owing to some catastrophic human event in which the entire earth is decimated to the extent that the tectonic plates rejig around they now all the cities are now mobile they put wheels on them basically and treads and they run around vast salt deserts and and, and plains and it some of like so far so how's moving castle yeah well, not exactly i mean it's a lot more industrial looking it's a lot more aggressive so they they sort of go by this sort of darwinian corrupted darwinian theory that you've got to be the biggest, strongest mobile settlement to survive. Otherwise, you just pounce on any other little roaming town and destroy it, steal its resources, etc. Emma? Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Am I right in thinking Peter Jackson was involved with this somehow? That's why it has to... Exactly. Wait, it does. Is that right? Okay. And so, did that draw you to it as well, Stuart? Did you think, come on, it's Peter Jackson? Exactly. So it's the the, the, the book series is critically acclaimed. It's been well-received by audiences, by readers, which is fantastic. And of course, as is what happens, and this is the trend now, these young adult books get snapped up by the movie studios and they say, this will make an excellent film. Let's slap a, a, a big name director on it and see what sticks. But unfortunately, that is not the case. Peter Jackson has done himself a disservice by attaching himself to this film. Yeah, and this and this is from me. When you start mentioning things like giant mechanical monstrosities and CGI, I'm normally all on board. But the reviews for this have absolutely slated this, and I couldn't agree more. Rotten Tomatoes has given this film on their tomatometer a 26% review. <laughs> I know, and the audience score That's is cool. a highly exactly. And and the audience score is a highly complimentary 49%. So this is really annoying because it looks fantastic. The the all of the CGI, the effects, everything looks amazing and pristine as a Hollywood budget should demand. But the characters are portrayed badly. The acting is hollow. You do not get emotionally invested in what is going on because the acting is so fucking weak and it's not often I am so scathingly critical of something on this podcast. I'm usually the complimentary one that Ashley sits and groans at me for for liking in the first place. And We've both thrown F-bombs this week, Stuart. Exactly. Really and I don't know whether it's because it's dark and miserable and lockdown too and I'm more <laughs> prone to grumpiness, but this film... I sat through it all. To its credit, I sat through it all, but... Shit. You You're know, not I, recommending anyone else does? No, don't bother. Yeah, it's awful. Sorry, Ashley, you go. 
So well, all the, I know nothing about this shit, obviously, and I, I wish to keep it that way. But all the things you're complaining about sound like poor direction, which makes sense to me. I mean, it's directed it... by someone called Christopher Rivers, who's worked a lot in the art department on massive films. So he did King Kong, a few Lord of the Rings, and then you try to turn your hand to directing. This is the first full length thing they've directed. So I think he knows what he was going for, but does not have the skills or the yeah. experience to pull it off. So you've corrected me there. I think we said that it was directed by Peter Jackson. It's not been directed by him. He's one of the. No, producers. I just said he was involved. Oh, His wife wrote the screenplay. I think he just. I think. I mean, but he I think when you attach a name like that, and if let's face it, if Christian Rivers was in the art department for Lord of the Rings, I presume they're all. It, New besties. Zealand chums. It was wing, yeah, Wingnut <laughs> Films, Wingnut Films, which is uh, Jackson's studio. So it seems almost like they they've yet to produce something that's quite as good as The Lord of the Rings, which was amazing. The Hobbit, which is a bit subpar, and then I think they might be struggling to find good intellectual properties to produce into major blockbusters because this film was supposed to be it was eyed up to be another the next trilogy, but owing to the fact that the first film got panned so deservedly, they didn't bother making any other ones. And it, it, it's a shame, obviously, but they should have done better the first time around. But that's very similar, is it not? We haven't talked about this, although I am kind of watching season two on the BBC at the moment. That's very similar, of course, to the His Dark Materials books. Massive young adult you know, novels that, that were just beloved, and then they made his golden compass, if you recall, all those years ago with Nicole Kidman while her face still could move a little bit, and Daniel Craig, and it did horribly, and they never managed. And you would have thought that that was just like a, a license to print money, if you like, because those books were so such a huge hit, and yet they 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 didn't they did not hit the right beats at all. And I, I guess for the same reason, that's why the BBC picked it up and are now doing a fantastic dramatization yeah. of it on the small screen and it looks and it is amazing the the bbc version so yeah don't go see the nicole kidman one with the lady whose face doesn't move check it out on bbc iplayer because that version is very good and they're covering all of the books unlike that first film from the other one which... well no I, but i believe that they wanted to I, I think they wanted to do the subtle knife and whatever the last oh, yeah. one's called as well so they did but, but the amber spyglass there you go. But I just think the Golden Compass was such a, a resounding flop because, like I say, they, they, it sounds a bit like this Mortal Engines. They just didn't do it right. So don't waste your time is what Stu Pass was saying. I was going to ask, are there any more things that you want to rip it for, Stuart, before we move on to the next thing? Mortal Engines, final death knell from producer Stu. I mean, I kind of feel sorry for it. I don't want to rip it any further, but the fact I have pity for the film is the final death knell, I think. It's like it the, the intellectual property in which it was going to be built on was supposed to be so great because the books have been very well received, very well reviewed. So ignore the film, read the books, if anything. That's what I'd say. Okie dokie. So that was Mortal Engines. Is that on Netflix? Did That's you Netflix, find that? yeah. Um, but it doesn't fucking matter because Stuart says it's shit and if he <laughs> says it's shit you know it's shit because that guy will watch anything that sounds like that <laughs> shall we move on to Emma's anything that stars a ginger <laughs> any ginger <laughs> I didn't like the sound of this because I just normally poo poo everything you say 
And I don't know why I, I do that. And I apologize. After 26, it does upset me a little bit because after six months and after we were literally watching Uncle Frank at the same time, I do get a bit bemused <laughs> that you're always like, Emma's got shit taste. I'm not going to listen to what she says. I'm just um, very argumentative, but you've picked out the vow, which is on HBO, yes. which is what. Yes. Can you so find available it here on, on Sky? Well, yeah, it's on Sky or Now TV, I guess, for our overseas listeners. It'll be via HBO or whatever, you, wherever you find your HBO material. And it is a documentary, a nine-part documentary. So a documentary? Yeah. Oh, this this sounds insane. Is this real? It, oh yes, that is the... That's the um, that's the definition of a documentary. Would you, you really? Sure I you thought this was a, a, a. I thought this. No, 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 reading no. the blurb. This sounds like an absolutely fucked up, insane. Series. No, although I noticed that they are busy making, and I, I, I do notice that they're making another season, which surprises me. Although I must admit, I'm not no. at the end of the first season because it is nine episodes, and each episode is pretty much an hour. So you know, this, this requires some time commitment, and it's not necessarily a kind of Netflix style true crime documentary binge worthy thing where, where mm. you're literally like you itch to find out having said that it is fascinating television so it is based on a <sighs> an organization which is called Nixium spelled N-X-I-V-M Nexium, if you want to call it that and this was a I've kind heard of, of that I think I've come across this, it based in upstate New York, and it is a sort of, you know, mentorship, leadership sort of style program that also sort of has a fair few members of the Hollywood elite who joined it. And it goes back to 2004, we start this, run by a guy called Keith Ranieri. So far, so kind of like Scientology, if you like. What is really impressive about the makers of this documentary is how much footage they have managed to, to, to have from 2004 right up to 2017. Because basically, it was running as per until about 2016 when a woman, we have, we have this woman who joined it called Bonnie, who got some other people involved in it as well and married one of her other members and another woman called Sarah who's running the Vancouver chapter who's also married to one of the other members and it's Bonnie who becomes the original whistleblower and it's like no I feel uncomfortable about this I feel uncomfortable about the way that Keith Ranieri the guy who's running it who is the most nondescript chubby bespectacled slightly creepy guy likes to rock a man ponytail for the first half likes to kiss everyone on the lips he's like I'm a hugger and I'm a lip kisser so it, it, they play volleyball all together. There's a lot of that bullshit management speak that goes on. Yes, Ashley. The, since you said volleyball, I now know for a fact that this is the cult that was mentioned on my favorite podcast, apart from this one and the Blind Boy podcast, which is my favorite murder. They were talking about this cult. They kept me awake all night to play volleyball. It's a weight loss, weight management, calorie control tactic. Yeah. But my question yes. was, do you have any vibe of how they got so much footage? Like, were people running around with handheld cameras or was... Well, yeah, because they're all... Because the, obviously Keith Ranieri, who runs it, is just a... And we'll talk about this in The Undoing as well. He is he just appears to me, he is a complete narcissist. I haven't quite got yet back, back to his background as to why. So he's obviously a complete narcissist. So they introduced... 
one of the key women who was involved in it and who brought a lot of other people in as well is an actress called Alison Mack, who I remember from Smallville, which was that spin-off from, it was like Kid Superman that I loved. It came out in like 2003 and absolutely loved it. And she played like the spunky version of Lois Lane in that. And she was adorable, but it turns out that she was just a mind-controlled, calorie-controlled sex slave to Steve Ranieri, yeah. who brought a lot of people in. There is branding involved in this. There is submissive dominant behavior in it there is sex mm -hmm. slavery i mean keith ranieri is now in prison for sex trafficking racketeering property mismanagement uh, you know it's it, anything they threw the book at him and where it really gets interesting is about episode five where catherine oxenberg who i mean this is very much a cross-generational thing but i was a huge dynasty fan back in the day and catherine oxenberg played Oh, I can't remember. I can't remember who she played in Dynasty. She's the one who married Michael Prayed in the infamous Moldavian wedding, where they all got gunned down at the wedding. But in real life, her mother is a second cousin to Prince Charles, so she is of royalty. Married Caspar Van Dien, who was in um, Starship Troopers, and they themselves had this whole um, reality show called like The Princess and the Film Star or whatever. And they have four kids. Her daughter ends up sulks into this cult. And Catherine Oxenberg is not taking that shit lying down. And she is brilliant. She keeps ringing up her mother, who's like the princess's rarer, though. And she's like, you need to get Charles on this and he can talk to the Dalai Lama. And that would be Prince Charles. I know you hate the royal family, Ashley, but they do have sway when it comes to certain things. So anyway, it, sorry. Yes. So do bankers and drug lords, and they aren't also good people. The, um... Not that I knew anything you were talking about with the dynasty thing, but the question I had, and I think that's the thing I worry about with watching these kind of documentaries. I love my true crime stuff. I worry when it gets into cult territory because I really don't want to be watching kind of sexually oppressive things. Is it all a bit gratuitous or are no. we okay? No, 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 it's not. No, it's not gratuitous. When I talk about the footage, it's not gratuitous in the slightest. You're not seeing any of that other than the, the, the women who managed to break free do show you their brands, which, you know, are sold to them weirdly as this kind of collection of lines, which are like they donate a river and the mountains. You mean skin course, brands people, by the way, which is shocking. Oh, yeah, I mean, not these, these people are... These girls are event, you know, they, they are, these women are, are taken to, you know, a place in upstate New York, I say in Albany. I mean, a lot of it, they have this amazing like week on summer camps. And as one of them says, because they break it in the New York Times and, and one of these women says, the problem is she likens it to the frog in boiling water or whatever. She said, you just, no one appreciates how long we were in there believing this was kind of like a management mentorship, you know, that kind of a program, like, like a kind of leadership program. But in fact, you were just being gradually brainwashed into this. And it's only, there's a, it, it's fascinating. They, they look at this brand and they realize they are the initials, both AM for Ali Mack, who's your chief slave, and, Keith, and KR for Keith Raniere. And they've sold them as like a mountain and a river, but it quite clearly says KR. And these women all have that branded on their pubic region. But they believe that they did it entirely, um, in, you know, in, 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 of their own choice, if you like. It just, I'm, it, it's, deep, it's really, really well done. It's deeply fascinating. And actually seeing these women breaking out of it, particularly Bonnie, who, like I say, was the original whistleblower, you're like, go, you go you go girl because their marriages are under threat everything is because these guys who are running nixium they've got money they've got power and they are you know they, they will try and take them back down so on a, on a scale of 
to protect myself before I watch this mainly, but other people wondering, because I do watch a lot of dark true crime stuff, but I don't like a lot of the detail. On a scale of one to, is this more of a whodunit sort of courtroom crime drama or is it dark and horrible? No, no, it's neither of those. You know straight away who's done it. It's more a really interesting psychological look into how this really nondescript guy managed because from the very beginning he kind of you know he built up kind of a pyramid he built up illegal pyramid schemes to start with all to do with kind of marketing and selling stuff it's just it's a fascinating look into I think the human psyche and people who outwardly seem incredibly successful and everything's because these women are attractive they are successful they 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 start off and they have to wear these silk scarves to denote their level within the within the organization. And even the women say, God, these silk scarves are so tacky. And they are like the worst silk sashes I've ever seen. But then they become so, you know, tied into this. They're like kind of karate belts and the, the, they have a color scheme mm. going through or whatever to denote where you are. And it, it, I think it's, yeah, it's just a really fascinating look as to how this can this can occur to people and when they come out the other end they are a lot of a lot of the footage is them revisiting themselves and sort of almost saying to their previous selves or their younger selves my god never let this happen again or never let this happen to someone else I know and a lot of it is also survivor guilt and guilt about the people that they enrolled because obviously a lot of it was like you get you get more money you get up the ladder if you can enroll more people so it, it, it yeah it's just a it's just really well done and it's not, and I don't, you know me, Ashley, I don't watch a lot of true crime. I don't listen to a lot of true crime. It's not my bag, but this has really sucked me in. Okay. Well, I am glad to hear it in that sense. I can't see a certification for an IMDb. I'm guessing that'll be pitched at a 15, do you think? Not an 18? Yeah, I would think so. It's only ever, the, the warning beforehand is only ever strong language. You never see anything else. You never see, there's, 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 no, there's no sexual content at all. There's no violent content at all. There's just... There's, yeah, there's just language. So it would be a 15, I would think. It's uh, all of season one, which is nine episodes, is available on Now TV or Skygo or HBO. And I really, okay. yeah, it's fascinating. I'm glad to see a little bit of my true crime and love seeping its way into the festive season, okay. which is where my true spirit lies. Speaking of which. Speaking his way into me, to be honest. Sorry, speaking oh. of which. Godly Christmas. And but speaking we're gonna of be fucking witch. <laughs> I have been waiting <laughs> for this. Holy Christ. Oh. Dolly, oh, okay. She made Joyful Noise a few, quite a few years ago now, which was fucking ace. Um, and Dolly Partners come back with us this year because we know she knew we needed her the most. She's not only got a new Christmas film called Christmas on the Square, she has a new Christmas album, new Christmas merchandise. And she's all over the fucking shop with her promo. And she's also got, oh, that was very loud, sorry, her new Christmas COVID queue, which she put a million dollars her own money into. Oh, Dolly. We do love we... Dolly. It's starting to look a lot I love like her for COVID. Her COVID more <laughs> than this. I love her for her COVID queue more than for this film. But we'll come to that Okay, later. we will come to that. And I will get to that. So this is called Christmas on the Square. Came out late November on Netflix. Dolly is front and center, huge on that poster. It is called Dolly Parton, colon, Christmas on the Square. My first gripe is that. It's about an embittered Scrooge of a woman played by Christine Barinsky, who you remember from the 90s smash hit TV show, Sybil, if you had no friends while you were 10 like I was. She was also 
in The Grinch. She plays the mayor's wife in The Grinch. Girlfriend, soon to be fiance in The Grinch, sorry. Um, no one else and you know. know. No, no, and you know her from The Good Wife. She, she's The Good Wife, isn't she, as well? Is she not in one of those lawyer oh, shows? I have The Good Fight. The Good Fight. I don't watch modern TV, Emma. I watch modern films. And Mamma Mia. Oh, shit. Yeah, she is. <laughs> I do love that shit. Ah, uh, yeah, she's awesome, Mum. I mean, Christina Bransky, generally, I would love to go out for a drink with her. She looks oh. like a riot, and I think she's someone I would like to drink martinis with yeah. till we fall under the table. She might Thanks, be more commonly recognised for our TV viewers who watch things on Channel 4 over and over and over again as being uh, Dr. Beverly Hofstadter, um, the mother of the, the shorter nerdy one in The Big Bang Theory. Oh, yes. No, you are right, but... In she's this. just generally a beloved treasure, is what I'm going to say. She's, she's a, a brilliant treasure. character actress with a great side of um, musical theatre to her belt. And, and she's in Chicago. Part. I love that we're just discussing Christine Braxy, but I have to say she, she's la, la, in la, Chicago la, 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 la. as well. Mm -hmm. The movie version with Renee Salweger and the unfortunate Catherine Zeta-Jones. <laughs> and she deserves to be uh, Christine, not Catherine. Um, but <laughs> anyway, go on, Ashley. The story Tell us more of this about is strange. Christine. So, an embittered Scrooge of a woman who is Christine, who's who lives in a very is from a very small town. This is quite telling and sad, actually. In twenty twenty, all the local businesses are going under. They can't afford to trade in this small town anymore. Christine, for some reason, owns this small town and is just going to sell them off and have a strip mall built on top of it. Classic Hallmark Christmas film trope. We love that shit. Dolly Parton shows up as an inexplicably <laughs> ill-advised. What? I don't even She's know what like the correct a, vernacular is. What do you think, Emma? A, a twinkly version of the Bird Lady from Mary Poppins <gasps> would be I would like be a good way. That explanation. She's actually, she literally is because because this is. Let's also point this is directed by Debbie Allen. She mm -hmm. so. Listeners of my age will remember Debbie Allen for stomping her stick on the ground and saying, fame casts and right here's what you start paying in sweat. So she was the lovely dance teacher in um, in Fame, the TV show, and she's mm -hmm. now moved into directing and choreography. So she directed, she, she, yeah, she directed this movie. Why was I going to, that's so 80s of me, but I can't remember why I was saying that. What was the question? Oh no, this was it. No, we were talking about so so Dolly. So so we have this kind of opening scene, which is around this set. Dolly strange set. hobo outfit. And you have some terribly jolly. And it's and to be fair, Ashley, you always bang on about this about how much you hate Hallmark movies for not representing our LGBTQ or people of color audiences. This is packed full of um chirpy looking people of color. That first scene is jumping around doing mm -hmm. some exciting dancing. They seem then, pretty oh, white to me. And then, no, there's, no, there's a whole group of black boys, black, black acting white. Around there. <laughs> well, yeah, this is the whitest film I've ever seen. It's the whitest I mean, choreography I've seen in my life. <laughs> the whitest film. And we discussed this. The fashions are from 1993. I went to North Carolina <laughs> University in 1993, and these are literally Flashback. express fashions. That's my American listeners. Well, okay. you're dreaming of a white Christmas. <laughs> but up pops, up pops Dolly, swathed in kind of grey, grey rags, basically, shrouded, also, shrouded in grey rags, holding 
a box that says change because you see what she's doing change she's asking for spare change but she's also saying change and she has some cgi twinkles around her and it just and then you even have a christian pastor in it who's called christian Ugh. And his girlfriend, they're trying to have a baby. It's so far, so Joseph and Mary, I guess. So it far, so goddy. One of the oddest things I've ever seen. And right. not nearly enough Dolly in it. That's It was just a really odd film. I agree. And I think I'm glad you disagree that this was good because I worried that I would be needlessly placing my, putting my chips in the Dolly basket and, and, sort of turning myself off liking this because there wasn't a lot of Dolly and needlessly nitpicking because I want it to be perfect. But this was bad. And I have seen every single Hallmark Christmas film, which are good because they're bad. This is worse. I re-listened to last week when we were talking about Operation Christmas Drop or the week before last That was better. Where you kept saying, and I, I, and I quote, Fucking shite, but I loved it. That was mm. lit. That was honestly, or quite, or quite often. I'm going to watch this, this four times. This is terrible, though. Hang on. I don't think I could watch Christmas on the Square again. I, I just it, the story made no sense to me. I, I'm confused because I'm listening to Ash say something in which Dolly Parton was involved is shit. Are, are you okay, Ashley? Who okay, hurt she, you? She's lent her name to it. And right. I think they've done, it's very clear. So she's written it in inverted commas, but she's adapted the stage play and the music and lyrics were by someone else. So she's literally just put her name on that, change a word, take a third. She's a smart businesswoman. And they put her on the top of all the posters because that is why you would watch this. They'd get some viewers for saying this is a Christine Berensky led Christmas film. They will get a fuck ton of viewers for saying it's a Dolly Parton led Christmas film. So this isn't the same as the other Dolly Parton Christmas special also coming out this year, or it is the same one, um, the one that Graham Norton had in his show this week. So she has a musical Christmas thing coming out. She has numerous other brilliant Christmas no, films. I think she was promoting this on Graham Norton because this is quite a big deal. This was quite a big deal for Netflix to get this, and it is. And to be fair, the couple of songs that when Dolly turns up because her name is Angel, so there's no guessing who Dolly is playing in this once she sheds her rags and gets those <laughs> perspex stripper heels on and her amazing oh, costume. Her shoe choices. Her two songs are two, maybe three songs. They are the highlights for me because, you know, you can't help but not love Dolly and she, she you know she is who she is so she just has a shining charisma about it mm. but she is surrounded like I say from bizarre fashions from the 90s from some of the most dull pious performances I've ever seen in my life not Christine Baranski and not Jennifer Lewis from Blackish love her love a bit of a you know she, she's kind of playing the, the, the hairdresser the sassy hairdresser who doesn't want to you know who's known Christine Baranski since she was a since she was a girl is gonna pay her out for her terrible behavior yeah dude uh, it was it was disappointing yes it's um yeah I know what you mean I, I do like Dolly for doing this I do like her for selling this to Netflix and I can't remember what you said now about the type of story it was it's just a small town hallmark story then I think putting Dolly's name to it, and you were right in that there are a lot more um, characters of colour on this, which doesn't happen a lot in Christmas films. We saw it on Jingle Jangle, but that was a first. So I think she's really throwing her name behind this to get it on this platform 
does it matter if it's good at this point? It's for the good of the cause, which is to diversify holiday films, and we need it. And I think Dolly's our last sort of sane. Try and drag your, try and drag the look and choreography of your Christmas film in 2020 though into at least 2009, maybe. This is to be sold. This is to be sold to backwards middle America, I think. This is true. I mean, I did. Yeah, I, I will stand up in front of their faces and tell them they are behind in a very many ways. And it's useful to me that they have this vehicle to see that black people celebrate Christmas, gay people celebrate Christmas. How cool is that? So the thing I was thinking of, and Graham Norton, it wasn't the one you're talking about. It's a Holly Dolly Christmas. I'm so sorry. That's is, her album, Stuart. That's a Christmas album. But she's also doing a uh, a show on um on C- uh, CBS in the states. So CBS and CBS yeah. all access. I think I got distracted by Mariah Carey talking on Graham Norton last week. I got distracted by Mariah Carey's enormous breasts on Graham Norton last week discussing a very Mariah Carey Christmas, which I can't wait to see because who doesn't love Mariah Carey? Bless. That's, no. I was sad because I was hoping for more Dolly and I just was hoping for it to be a bit more fabulous. And it wasn't fabulous. It was just a very straight down the road, middle America, looked like 1992, wasted the talents, I'm going to say, of Christine Baranski kind of vehicle. And that it could have been more and it wasn't. And that made me sad. I agree very much with you. But yeah, like I said, I'm glad this is getting shoved down the throats of the millions of people who need it. So I will sacrifice my Dolly and my Christine for that cause alone. Stuart, I know you've not seen it. When are you going to? How many times do you reckon? You want to discuss Mariah Carey's breasts? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, actually, now you mention it, they are both blonde and boxer women, and I may have got confused. Graham Norton, the most recent episode, it was Mariah Carey. It wasn't Dolly Parton. For Christ's sake, Stuart. Sorry, but but Dolly Parton. It's a good job you've got me here. Thanks, Emma, who is our who is our designated boob correspondent. She's here to remind me of which boobs I'm looking at. <laughs> oh God! I'm but not she, sure who should be more offended but, by but that. Dolly Parton. Dolly, Dolly Parton was on a Graham Norton talk about Christmas thing recently. Surely that's how I got confused. None of this is I okay. She was. I know. I'm not defending myself. Right. I'm just saying I got confused. There I is... don't think it's a mistake that my Zoom has now blurred you out, so I can't see your damn face. I can just hear your vitriol. It's the shame filter. I do want to in. say though <laughs> that I have I have Christmas presents in mind in mind for you guys, and you're going to be so I'm going to post no, them to you, so I probably still won't. Don't to send see us you. presents because then we have to think of and buy ones for you. Ah, no, you don't. I, yes, I, I, do. I was actually thinking about this earlier. I've got ideas the for, joy of for both of you. It's such Ashley, a thing. Not receiving. Oh, no. I say that, I don't mean it. <laughs> not when you're terribly anxious about feeling like you owe people things. That's not good. Right, I'm going to buy you shit. I'm, on, I'm into it. I'm into it. No, I'm no, I don't. Anyway, I just I had an idea. That was that was all. So that is um, Dolly Parton's <laughs> Christmas on the Square. It's available on Netflix. I think if you like Dolly Parton, then you can fast forward to her bits, is how I would sell it. I, uh, Well, everyone knows how I feel. Um, this is fucking shite, but I'm going to watch it eight times again anyway and that was our christmas joy for this episode i think we're gonna have to really pack in next time because that'll be the last one before actual christmas packing on the other christmas films because um won't be the, the happiest when it goes up Takes yeah i think it will might be <laughs> i think it will but we have the happiest season we should really talk about which is a great lgbtq yeah i need to know one. where i can get hold of that actually i'm excited about that and christmas chronicles too 
right and, and maybe something else we'll do them next time yeah but herein comes the end of the actual new content and please turn off now if you've not yet seen all of the series the undoing which was an all right it was pretty cute and the reason they've thrown so much advertising cash out is it because it was just all right and that's the reason you see it everywhere it's not any better than anything that you would have seen on tv don't be tricked by that um no i think to be fair ash it it has absolutely slayed the ratings because it I don't know, well, maybe particularly here in the, well, in the UK, and I'm going to say in America as well, we are all in a dark winter lockdown, unlike, let's say, Southern Hemisphere places or the USA, which is not locked Europe. down. At no, the U- no, but the USA on the East Coast, the big cities are back in, are really back in lockdown and people are taking it pretty seriously. So this okay. has absolutely word of mouth racketed up um viewers like nothing else and it's one of the only things i know that myself and husband have had taste watch and also every single person his work watched as well so they went in today and discussed the entire ending um i'll remind you then i'll remind you quickly of what happens if you've not seen the whole thing nicole kidman hugh grant lead married couple she's a therapist he's a doctor He's had an affair with a young mother at the private school their kid goes to. She ends up horrifically bludgeoned to death. They're trying to figure out who who did it. it. Hugh Grant is a lead suspect and it's him in custody the whole time. Um, You've got Lily Rabe playing um, Nicole Kidman's best friend. Who plays her dad? Help me. Very Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland. Working eyebrows in the entire show, who also is insanely rich. For no other yeah. reason, it turns out, other than so they can just pay for some helicopters for the last yeah. scene, it turns out. Because I kept hoping that was going to come into it. She's Because he lives yeah. in the most amazing New York Central Park, overlooking Central Park apartment. Complex. It's a complex. So that there's a lot of money Although, involved. can I just say, James, I'm sorry, we were talking about this last night, we were watching it. They live in the most luxurious thing, and yet their poor kids, so this is Hugh Grant and Nicole Kidman's son, their 13-year-old son, can still only sit in like a tiny kitchen window to, to do whatever he wants to do. I was like, is there nowhere better to sit in this entire... To look you know, at... Well, it's fucking New York. That apartment's apartment. probably 15 million and it'll be a shithole compared to what you can live in in Cambridgeshire because patriarchy. But so it's a huge, big, long who done it. There's a very many players. So you... there. So let's go through what was discussed. If you've not seen all this, turn off now because we're going to tell you what happened at the end. But Hugh Grant's obvious. He was having an affair with her. He's a bit of a narcissist. He um, is recently fired from his job because of having an affair and lying. Could he have bludgeoned her to death because he shagged her right before she died? Nicole Kidman's seen on CCTV near to the crime. I feel like it's insinuated throughout the series that she has blackouts and has mental health issues. For sure. And do you know what I got to the end? When I came to the end of this, I realised actually, no, that is just because Nicole Kidman's face can't move anymore. So it's Mm -hmm. just her eyes look spectacularly bonkers the whole time. Yeah. I thought thought exactly the same thing because in the first episode, they do kind of... The girl who plays Elena, the murder victim. She's very sexy and Matilda DeAngelis. I don't know her from anywhere else. But in the very first episode, they have her standing fully naked in front of Nicole Kim, and they're getting changed in a kind of, you know, after Badge gym class or face. something. Yeah, very, very sexual. And so I thought maybe they've had some kind of sexual yes. affair. And maybe, in fact, it was Nicole Kidman or Went Nicole mental. Kidman and Hugh Grant together. Yes. Or, yeah, 
and I think that's where they were sending you to. And then in the end, it just but no, don't go for the end. And then it was so. And then maybe they brought the son in. They brought the okay. They brought the dad into it because the dad hates Hugh Grant. Yeah, hates. He's got a lot of money. Wants Hugh Grant out the picture. He has the power and the money to make this trial the way he wants to do. Yeah, yeah. He can make it look like Hugh Grant, and he can make it. He can make anything happen. Lily Rabe, the blonde friend, she's not in it a lot. She's a famous actress, and to put her in that role with nothing else to do was very. It seemed too trivial to me, so I was pretty much convinced she had something to do with it. I was convinced it was her and Donald Sutherland together trying yes. to bring Hugh Grant down yes. because they never approved of him. Uh-huh. That was always my theory. And then towards the end of the series, we thought it was definitely the son and then uh, Donald Sutherland and Nicole Kidman worked together to get the son off and put Hugh Grant away because they hate yeah. him. But shall we reveal the ending now? Well, can it, before we reveal the ending, Go what on. I'm going to say is, first of all, I said, obviously, Nicole Kidman looked gorgeous. She wore, you know, the, the, the fashion. I personally, and I know this has divided uh, many viewers, but I loved that kind of elfin green oh hooded Christ, coat she wore. She I wouldn't like wear it myself. Shirt. No. But it, <laughs> I thought it worked for it. I like that. And the wig, her wig work, I had to break <laughs> it to a friend of mine that I was, in fact, a wig and no longer her real hair because Nicole Kidman's real hair is now a little bit like my own. Yeah, she's at mm. a certain age. So that but she has this lustrous red wig that reminds you of her glory days and days of thunder or whatever. And she looked, she does look amazing. But my biggest props in terms of acting in this whole thing go to Nomi Dumazwe. Dumas, Dumas oh, who the, I've um, not seen the lawyer. Seen her in, the lawyer who plays yeah. the, who plays Hugh Grant's lawyer, who gives a barnstormer for the last three episodes is brilliant i've seen her in very little on tv but i think i was talking to you about this off air she was the original hermione in harry potter and the cursed child stage play and it was big hoo-ha obviously when that happened because i was like oh hermione they're casting a black woman as hermione and you know dare you be black jk rowling said well i only Mm. ever said she had brown brown eyes and curly hair so do do what you will and she if she doesn't get some kind of nomination for this, it, she should do because she was brilliant. Anyway, she was now groundbreaking. She is also in the She's also in the Boy Who Harnessed the Wind. Did we do that on this podcast or on the radio together, Emma? Because we, we loved it. did it on this podcast because right, I love that. But when I talked about it at length, yeah, yeah. So she is fantastic. I agree with that. Nomi Dumizweni, fantastic. Yeah. But this whole thing, and we can't. Um, this is, is this based on a book? Yeah, it's based on a book. Called, okay, so think... we can't bitch at the screenwriters for this because it's... I can't decide whether it's the most disappointing or the biggest coup in, in, in story writing history. Wait, but most hear me out. Before we tell you who it is, spoiler alert for the 50th fucking time, Emma, am I or am I not correct... In saying to you now, the person who did it is the last person you thought was going to be revealed as a killer. I guess you're right because uh-huh. it, be, because they were. Yeah, you're right. Because am I allowed to say because it turns out to be Hugh Grant? Mm-hmm. 
because he turns out to be a horrible Jekyll and Hyde narcissistic sociopath. Because mm-hmm. to be fair, in the very last but one episode, it turns out there's apparently some tragedy in his background where he once killed the family dog. And then his mother, out of nowhere, contacts Nicole Kidman in the very mm-hmm. <laughs> in the penultimate episode to say, it wasn't a dog, it was his sister. And she was four right. and he was babysitting her. And it wasn't that, that it wasn't the fact it was Hugh Grant. That I agree. I thought was poor. Agreed. I think it was the fact the pacing of it. It's only six episodes, and I think they they paced it. It they paced it through eight episodes, or if they'd shown any kind of hint of his behaviour earlier on, it would have made more sense. As it was, mm. it felt like it was Hugh Grant doing his kind of Bridget Jones slash Paddington two sort of general caddish. But not too caddish. Total mix like I'm of bad, <laughs> But I'm still charming. And then actually, it turned out because they don't hold back from showing you, you know, the, the face of his lover. That is, you know, particularly in the last episode, they really do. They really do show you. I do hope our viewers like some dogs. I love hearing the little puppy to cut in across the horrible sexual violence. But like you said, and it's even the pacing is wrong, isn't it? It's it, I, the pacing was wrong. It all happened in the last episode, and also I felt like this did come like we talked. It, it was executive produced by Nicole Kidman oh, and by David O'Kelly, Kelly, who did Big Little Lies, and it was just a little bit like here is Nicole Kidman yet again playing the wife of a horribly abusive husband, just like Alexander Skarsgård in Big Little Lies. Mm-hmm. Here is Nicole Kidman escaping she from this. She read the theme tune, sing the theme tune. <laughs> a little bit. And so, but like, I, I honestly think it's because her face doesn't move and I was just convinced that because her eyes were so bonkers. But that's just because she can only act with her eyes now, which is very sad. Don't very you sad. worry, Emma. We've had fan feedback. They like Brienne of Tar squealing. But I agree with you. I didn't hate that Hugh turned out to be the protagonist, the killer, because he was the last person I was thinking. But the pacing was all wrong. So I think you and I talked before. Come episode four, we were over it. And we were like, fuck, we need to get to the end of this so we can review the end of it. And then it did really pick up again. And I was expecting a big, explosive triple quadruple cross at the end of this courtroom drama and it didn't work how do you think and bearing this is assuming you've seen the other thing i'm going to mention Mm. can you rate his performance in this again another fairly uncharacteristic against paddington (laughs) 2 no you got against (laughs) his performance in the gentleman the gentleman was a oh, terrible does not say. cinema. Come on. No. <laughs> I love he does the not say He does not say cunt all the time in this, that's for sure. No, it's nothing like that. It's much more it's like his kind of... It's slightly more nuanced. It's less funny. Hugh Grant, this is clearly, you know, it's clearly a, a, a Nicole Kidman vehicle. They also have, like I say, that lovely Danish actress who played Sarah Lunt in The Killing is wasted as the prosecution lawyer. She doesn't even get her moment in the sun in the sunshine. She when was Nicole... wonderful, the prosecution lawyer. I didn't know that she was um a, a, a saint. Do you mean Sophie Grable? Yeah, she was just recently in us, which she... I'm always oh, talking she was about, in the killing. She was, a, and she was in the killing. Huge... She's Sarah Lund in the killing. Yeah, huge mm. in the killing. Yeah. 
I did. I, you know, I, I see why it's captured people. Like I say, particularly over these six dark weeks, it, 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 it is. You know, everyone likes a classic whodunit. I think I was secretly hoping, or in fact, this was again husband with a bad taste. Other theory was that Hugh Grant would get away with it, but then you'd find out in the last, like, closing seconds that he did it. Do you see what I mean? So that's what partnered with Good Shouts. That would have been quite clever too. We were hoping. So we were hoping. We didn't give a fuck who did it by the end. We were just hoping that whoever took the fall for it had a conversation with the person who actually did it in the last five seconds. And they were like, I know you did it. And they're like, I know. We thought the same thing. But then that whole, and like I say, then the whole ridiculous with, with, with like the whole the huge ridiculous police helicopter the chase. They're, yeah, they're let's land off to two Canada. helicopters on a suspension yeah. bridge. No. Let's just have Nicole with her unmoving <laughs> face and her headphones on in the helicopter going. We've got to get to them. And I kind of was hoping that Hugh, that Hugh Grant. I keep wanting to say Hugh Jackman. It's so far from Hugh Jackman. I kept hoping that Hugh Grant would just jump off at the end. But anyway. Obviously, if you've listened this far, you've, you've watched it as well. You may have your own opinion, so do let us know. Yeah. It was very serviceable. It wasn't, but it just it was, was serviceable little... for something that's billing itself so heavily. Not even just because that's Nicole Kidman's character's job. So heavily on the psychological intricacies of these characters, they did little to nothing to showcase that properly. But because... I do. But I do have to say, I have to make this very clear. Husband of Bad Taste went into work today and he works with, I think, five women who'd all watched it and and his mother-in-law, the lovely mm. Helen. I won't do my Hi, invitation. Helen. All right, Helen. I did it. They, they, they all thought it was marvellous. They all thought it was fantastic. But did they know it was Hugh? No, well, I don't know. They, they, none of them have read the book as far as I know. So I don't think any of them knew it was here. And I don't know how Helen feels about Paddington too. And I doubt she's seen a gentleman. But um, in general, I, I yeah. just want to say very clearly that for them, it was a huge hit. So I think it has ticked a lot of people's boxes. It's a hit. I just was a little. Yeah. I am worried about what's going to happen if this team comes back with another they can't thriller. How many no, more books even, even with a different story, because we're going to be pissed. We're just going to be like, we know it's the most obvious person from the beginning, so why am I going to stick with that? But I'm going to give this the benefit of the doubt. And like I said right at the beginning, Hugh Grant is the last person who I thought would have been the one that did this. True. true, true, true Turned true. out he was. Is the, third book, is the third book the one where they finally take the hammer to Mordor to burn the evidence? Hmm. <laughs> I'm sure that's what happens to you. <laughs> but anyway, uh, there you the, un go. the undoing was on HBO Max. So can you get that on Hulu? Yeah, here, Sky again, Sky or Sky. Now TV. Yeah, all okay. available, all six episodes. But as I say, if you're listening this far, then I really yeah. hope you've watched it. Or else, what's the point? And there's Unless really no you point. Look at Nicole Wigman's wig work. Don't do it, Wigman. Oh, Wigman. <laughs> Ooh, Freudian. Nicole Kidman's wig work <laughs> well, and facial work. Shall I run you dead quickly back over what we've watched? And then I have a little celebrity shout out and a thanks for the week and a big highlight for the week. If you guys want to think about what you want to do, Emma and Stuart, yeah, don't okay. worry about it if you don't have No, one, no, but... I've got my, well, my highlight okay. for what we've discussed. But just a general shout out. I love out, how but... you've picked up some fever back this week, Ash, and you're really running I've been, with this. I, I like how I you secretly listen, didn't I don't warn us about texts. the fever. <laughs> Well, no, because I've only read them while you were talking about other shit, because I don't read texts ever. <laughs> so while I'm talking about what we've mentioned this week, you guys have a think. But we did talk about the Hillbilly Elegy, which is on Netflix. 
kind of misjudged, I think you should give it a watch about small town boy with horrific problems when he was younger makes it to be a Yale law student. It's not cozy Christmas viewing. It's great. It's solid indie viewing. It's a snore. It's a bit of a snore. Uncle Frank is not a snore. It is stellar indie viewing about a gay couple. Well, a, 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 a complicated family coming together and learning to accept each other in 1970s Deep South USA. Mortal Engines, even producer Stu says, is not good post-apocalyptic weird superhero shite. Don't go for that. Emma does say The Vow is a wonderful documentary that's not too tricky on a very devious sexual cult. Give that a go if that's your thing. Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square. I categorically hated, but will watch eight more times in the next 10 days. So make of that what you will. And The Undoing, which was nice enough to watch throughout. And we can't decide whether the ending was complete letdown or complete genius. And my final small hooray film related of the week goes to Ellen Page, lead actress at the time of Juno. Um, has come out and said that they are they would like to be named Elliot. Their pronouns are he and they, and they are now an out and proud transgender male. So congratulations to Ellen Page. You're a fantastic actor. And Juno was a life-changing experience for me, and I am very happy for that to happen. But do either of you guys have any cool last hooray or goodbye moments, or what should we be doing this week? What do you reckon? So for me, if you were disappointed with Ron Howard's latest thing, again, I'm going to be a huge, huge promoter of his daughter's work, Bristyas Howard. She produced. She's not your wife. She's not yet. my wife, but she's still a very <laughs> talented woman. She uh, directed episode three of season two of The Mandalorian, chapter eleven mm-hmm. in the hierarchy, the the heiress, yeah. and it's basically a fantastic sci-fi western train heist episode but obviously they replace trains and spaceships it's all very good but it really encapsulates star wars to the point that the entire fan base is saying keep bryce dallas howard doing star wars she gets it she does it very well she's very complimentary and very talented this is your best life Stuart. you're living this kind of information i'm happy for you thank you i'm gonna say that we as a family again don't judge my choices we rewatched American Pie on Saturday night, which Miles found one of the funniest things he's ever watched. And I'm just going to tell you, it stands up. Mostly, I think, because I Eugene, agree. Eugene Levy, Eugene Levy is, you know, and, and at the moment, obviously, is just bathed in like the aura of Schitt's Creek. I think the two of them have just won Entertainers yes. of the Year. They've just done the most gorgeous cover of him and Dan mm-hmm. Levy. And rightly so, because, yeah. my God, if one thing has seen us all through the pandemic, it's been it's Schitt's Creek. Creek. But, um, yeah, like I say, we rewatched American Pie and there's something that came out, I think, in like 2004. And we were obsessed with the fact that, I mean, Tara Reach, she thought she was all that. She got nowhere. That guy, Chris, whatever he was, the big lunk looking guy, Mina Savari. So many have gone to nothing, but you've got Natasha Leon, you've got mm-hmm. um, Eugene Levy, and you've got Jason, whatever he's called, who's married to. Yes. Anyway, it was, it stood up. It oh, didn't, how cute. it hasn't dated. And it was funny as hell. And of course, you have the gorgeous Stifler's mom as well. Who we, I'm mm. glad, Jennifer Coolidge, I'm glad your kids liked that. Oh, Miles uh, thought. 20 years was, later. 
it might it made Miles's week. Is what oh, I'm gonna good. say. So go ahead and check that out. Well, we are deep into the festive period now, aren't we, on this podcast? Stuart, you're you're well, you don't love it as much as me, but, but whilst we've been recording i have ordered both your presents because i knew exactly Aww, what to get and i've done sweet it now. baby angel i haven't Aww. even done mine yet but i know when i'm gonna get you i have to go and put children to bed I in a minute know. by the way don't say good night what are we oh, gonna do next good. week christmas chronicles 2 what was the one you said as well as another christmas oh that happiest um the happiest, happiest season season great lgbtq led featuring dan levy the um son of the dad from um uh, and Mackenzie Phillips, Price. who I like, she was in that Charlie. She was Theron. in San Junipero, the Great Black Mirror, great episode, Black Mirror episode, and she was in the new Sully. Blade Runner. Tully, Sully was it? No, Tully. Sully's one of them's about the oh, she pilot. Was... Tully, no, she was the one in with Charlie um... Theron about the, the woman who needs a nanny. Yeah. She plays yeah. the nanny, the great nanny, Mackenzie mm. Phillips. Very good. Okay, well that's two then. Tip and Stuart, do you have on. anything we need to pretend to watch and then not watch and just let you talk about next time? Well, I I mentioned uh, we Bryce film... Howard. <laughs> anything <laughs> she did, Jurassic Park, other Boobs. stuff. Oi! <laughs> I said this episode. I said we we should probably watch Highlander because we mentioned it in the group chat. Oh yeah. And yes. also Old we school. should probably at some point, perhaps not this week, but maybe sorry. Hit the microphone. Not this week, but certainly in the night of Christmas, we should reconsider watching A Knight's Tale as an oldie but goodie. Oh, yeah. Have I well, told you guys about Nashville ever? I don't remember. Let, I mean, Nashville. Me, I saw in America, right? <laughs> let me take this opportunity <laughs> to end proceedings. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Please, well, thanks for listening to what you do already. Like it, click the likey thing, but then subscribe. Apparently, that's the best thing you could do because then it auto downloads and it makes us look shit hot. I'm not going to ask you to write reviews because no one does that. Who the fuck does that? No, but you can follow us on our Instagram account. M oh, yes. and Ash Screen Queens. That's all. You can Neither of us do shit M- for that. Only A-M- Emma posts. She needs I your support. I try a bit, but I've got. I do need your support, and I'll do more. And I will do less, which is nothing. So. Cool. But thanks, bitches. Enjoy this Thank holiday you. season. Have a lovely evening. I'm guessing you're listening in the evening. I don't know why. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. It's starting to look a lot like bye. Christmas. Bye. 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 Bye.